So we've been looking at wisdom over the last few weeks. You may not have noticed this, but uh, that was actually the, the theme that we were on. And uh, we were looking at the number of challenges that we face as we look at wisdom, isn't it? We, we looked at uh, the need for wisdom when it comes to sexuality, when it comes to the media, when it comes to finances, when it comes to suffering, and how we need wisdom to navigate all these things, and uh, especially in this world right now. And uh, so I thought, sort of try round it all off, as it were, is to look at wisdom as a whole. You know, to look at, uh, at uh, so I've entitled this, if you want, Heaven's Wisdom on Earth. You know, there's that, that saying, isn't it? Uh, to be, the guy was so heavenly minded that he was of no earthly good. Well, I want to turn that around and say that if you're so heavenly minded, you're of great earthly good. So, go. so uh, but uh, in the Old Testament, if you go to the Old Testament, um, we have uh, um, wisdom portrayed in the book of Proverbs in that as a beautiful woman. She's a beautiful woman that's actually telling people to come to her, and uh, she's a pure, beautiful woman. So, so it's not, not uh, just any woman, but, uh, but she's presented as this woman that was with God when God did the creation, and, uh, and she's there, if you want, uh, um, presenting God's wisdom to us. And then the opposite of wisdom in the book of Proverbs that is portrayed is a harlot who's actually out in the streets trying to entice Generally, they, they, they fickle young men to come in to, to, you know, to, to sample her wares and all this and to lead them astray. So you've got these two women that are contrasted. But when we come to the New Testament, so wisdom is portrayed as this woman in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, we come and we, we actually, if we go to the book of Revelation, you do see that there are two women portrayed there. Um, you've got the one woman in Revelation 12 who gives birth to Jesus and then gives birth to the Christians. So, of course, a picture of Mary and a picture of the church, you know, giving birth to, to all of us. And uh, we then have, and she is then a, a sort of a, assaulted by the Satan and by the world and by, by all of that. And she is protected in the wilderness for a time. But then a couple of chapters on, chapter 17, you're introduced to another woman, the harlot, the mystery Babylon religion, the, the woman that's riding on the beast. And again, portrayed as a woman that is actually leading the whole world astray. So you've got the two contrasts in Revelation. But the fascinating thing, if you go to the book of uh, the New Testament, is that wisdom is no longer portrayed as a woman. In the New Testament, when we see wisdom, it's actually portrayed as a man. <laughs> It is the man, Jesus Christ. He is called the wisdom of God. He is, he's not just, he doesn't, he's not someone who just has wisdom. He is wisdom. He is the wisdom of God. So I want to have a look at uh, what it means now to be heavenly minded, to have the wisdom of God, what that actually means for us in the world today. How, you know, I mean, that's great knowledge and that, but what does that have an effect on us and our, how we live our life today? So what I'm wanting to do is to take us through a section, James chapter 3, if you want to go there to James chapter 3, from verses 13 to 18. So that'll be our main section we're going to look at. Now the book of James, by the way, is very similar. So the book of James is modeled on the, uh, the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus gave of the Sermon on the Mount. So when Jesus gave uh, um, his uh, message, James models himself on that, but is also modeled on the book of Proverbs. So there's a lot of, you know, if you, try and, if you try and put James into an order, you'll find there's a lot of little sayings all the way through it, which are, are scattered. But here this section, James chapter 3, verses 13 to 18, we actually have um, a section where he's talking about wisdom. Now he talks about wisdom quite a few times. But here in verse 13, it says, Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, 
demonic. For, for where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom that from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. So what I would like to do is go through this passage. I'm just going to present three, if you want, different views that we can get from this passage, breaking it down into different parts of here. And uh, we're going to start off by looking at that wisdom is a way of life. That wisdom, and this is verse 13. If you have a look there in verse 13, it says, Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. Now, if any of you have got a King James version, you'll notice that it says the word conversation. But in actual fact, that's just an old King James word that no one uses anymore because a conversation there was meant conduct. Nowadays, conversation just means you're standing talking to someone. So, so it had a much broader meaning previously. It's, it's, the meaning has changed over the years. But what do you think of when you think of wisdom? Now, if you're a Christian and you think of wisdom, doesn't the person immediately leap to your mind? Solomon. Okay, the wise man who asked for wisdom and got it. And, and what do we think of, when, when you think of Solomon being wise, what do you think of? You think of the fact that he wrote a whole lot of the Proverbs and that all those clever sayings that he put in. And uh, so, so we actually think of Solomon as wisdom. If we think of the New Testament, we might think of a lot of Jesus' clever sayings as wisdom, isn't it? You know, where, where they, they try to trap him in things and he then comes up with this clever, witty remark where he says, uh, um, you know, it's uh, pay to Caesar what is Caesar's, but to God what is God's. And, uh, you know, and, uh, but I say to you, and he, and he turns things around, and we think of that as wisdom. If you were not a Christian and you were thinking of wisdom, you might come up with something like Confucius. Because there's a man that sat on a mountain and then came up with all these fantastic sayings. So I found a couple of them that were quite interesting. Before you embark on a journey of revenge, dig two graves. Actually, that's quite wise, isn't it? I mean, if you're going on a journey of revenge, you know that you're going to kill the person you're doing. And you're also, you're probably going to kill yourself. So, so that's, that's, and uh, another thing he said is, he who will not economize will have to agonize. And I had to think about that one, but yeah, that's actually a lot of wisdom, I sort of think. So that's how we think of wisdom. If you're not into Confucius or into a Christian, you might actually look at Shakespeare. And for me in Shakespeare, one of the things that comes across, I love The Merchant of Venice in Shakespeare. And in The Merchant of Venice, there's a, the, the, one of the first feminists in the world was a lady by the name of Portia. And uh, she actually, because she was in a world which is dominated by men, she had to go and pretend to be a man and then to pretend to be a judge. You know, she actually got into a sort of the whole thing there where she was trying to help a, f a friend, Antonio, who had been this evil Shylock had come along, got Antonio trapped, and he was uh, now Shylock was saying, I need my pound of flesh. By the way, that's where that saying comes from, where people want their pound of flesh. It comes from a merchant of Venice. He says, I need my pound of flesh, and he's got to pay me this pound of flesh. And uh, Portia then very wisely comes in and says, yeah, okay, you can have the pound of flesh, but not a drop of blood. And, uh, and of course, that made it impossible for him to do. So it was actually, you know, so you go, wow, that's so wise. So you might think of these as wisdom. It's interesting, none of that is biblically wisdom. <laughs> Those are all quite fascinating, but, but wisdom is not words. We think of wisdom in the, in, the, in the sense of it being words, clever words that people use to show how bright and clever they are in that. But I don't know if um, um, you're a bit like me, you know, it, it's a... Uh, uh, there's this, uh, have you ever had someone come to the door, someone at work, someone at work comes in and he traps you in a corner and he says, uh, and he throws a cutting remark about something really terrible about Christianity. How can Christians do this? And he, he really says something hard about Christianity and you're looking at him and, and you sort of 
wanting to say something and you mumble under your breath and you sort of leave. Then after he's gone, you sit there and you find out you've got this fantastic answer that you should have used. And, and now you're wanting him to come and do it again because you have this answer you can use. And unfortunately, a lot of us think that that's the wisdom we need, isn't it? <laughs> we want the wisdom to be able to give these cutting remarks and these clever, quick answers. But again, biblically, that's not wisdom. If you have a look at what we, we just read in that verse, wisdom is actually to do with um, how we're living our life. How we're actually, what we're actually doing is wisdom. Um, it's, it's uh, you know, when, we, when you see someone in like, uh, and have you ever noticed as well that we think wise people are actors for some reason? It's the world we live in. You know, and you've got a guy that, that acts, and he acts so well that you, he's such a fantastic actor that when he comes off the stage, we think we must ask him all our questions because he has the wisdom to tell us how to live our lives and, and what we should do about, and he gives us all his view on, on sexuality and all these other things. This actor will be able to tell us. And we don't think of the fact that, uh, in actual fact, he's very good at deceiving us. He's able to do it so well that we actually believe the character that's on there, and yet somehow he's the guy that we go to for wisdom. We think that because of what people are saying, that they're wise. And yet, in actual fact, the Bible tells us, what does Christ say? By their fruit, you shall know them. Not by their clever words. As a matter of fact, the guy that came to Christ and he says, you know, he came to me and says, in your name, I cast out these demons. I did all these things. He says, uh, he says no, I never knew you. It's by their fruit, you shall know a good tree. And, and what is fruit? Fruit is the fruit of a, a good life. It, it's Have a look at the guy's marriage. Have a look at the guy's home life. Have a look at the, the guy's life you know, and how he's living. And, and if you see someone living well, that's a wise guy that you can get information from. That's someone you can learn from. Now, it doesn't mean, by the way, that everything's going well for the person. That's not where you see wisdom, you know, because you could, there are some people that are having a horrific time in their home in that because they're having huge trials. But if you see someone who actually handles those trials well, and is able to come through it, you know, we're still with a positive attitude, still focusing on Christ, there's a wise person that you can actually look at. And that's what, what he's talking about here. When he says, by his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. Um, how he actually handles the trials. It's interesting that we often think that if a person says something, that that, that means it's, a, it's finished. If you go back a chapter before in James, to James chapter 2, he talks there about faith. Now, faith is something wonderful that we need to have. You, to be saved, we have to believe in Jesus. But notice what it says in James chapter 2. Now, now, one of Jeanette's favorite verses, by the way, I didn't put in here, is verse 19, which says, Jeanette, Yeah, you believe in God, but even the demons believe and shudder. So sometimes we sort of put that as something in, I said that because I knew she'd know it, by the way. I, I didn't just put her on the spot. It is one of her favorite verses. So, but then if you go on in verse 22, he then says, you see that faith was active along with his works and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness and he was called a friend of God. And I notice verse 24. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. Now we often think that if a person says he believes, we, he is saved by faith alone. In actual fact, that person's got to be living the life. We need to see the change in that person because that's where we actually know someone is saved is by what they actually do, the, the results of what they're actually doing, not just by their words. Now, now the, in Romans 10, it talks about the fact that we have to believe in our, we have to confess with our mouth, but we have to believe in our heart. And that internal change is something none of us can see. We can only see it when we see what the person starts doing with it, when he starts living his life out with it. 
in Hebrews 5, verses 12, uh, at the end of Hebrews 5, going into Hebrews 6, it actually uh, talks there about uh, a Christian that lives on the milk. And a Christian who lives on the milk is the one that loves just having the, uh, the input. You know, give me the messages, give me, let me listen to all the sermons online, and they, they fill themselves with messages. Well, that's just milk. If you want meat, you've got to go out on the streets and do the Christianity. Meat is not just getting the information in. Meat is actually going out and doing. And uh, so, so, so th that's the wisdom we're looking at. Is who are the people actually going out and living their Christianity? So those are the, 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 what he's talking about here with wisdom. Wisdom is then more than just knowledge. Because unfortunately, let me tell you, we live in a knowledge age. You want knowledge about anything, just go onto the internet, put a question in, and let me tell you, you'll have a whole row of answers. Getting knowledge is not wisdom. Knowing what to do with that knowledge, that is wisdom. Knowing how to live your life and how to plan, that is wisdom. But now there are two types of wisdom the Bible talks about. Earthly wisdom and heavenly wisdom. And the next couple of verses, from verse 14 to 16, it talks now on earthly wisdom. Let me just read those. It goes, But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice." Earthly wisdom is all around us, by the way. We can see earthly wisdom in everything that we're doing. And, uh, um, but earthly wisdom can be summarized in that it's all what is it's about me. It's all about me. It's all about something that is best for me. And isn't that where the world has gone right now? It's, it's all about uh, you know, your rights as an individual. My rights. I have the right to stand here and tell you that I'm a woman. You know, that, that, that's where the world's got to. It doesn't matter what you're all seeing or what you all think. It's my right. It's all, all selfish. It's all about me. It's not about anyone else. It's not trying to bring anything else into it. And, uh, <clears throat> but uh, do you want to know that part of the problem is, is that everyone in the world has a worldview. You've heard the term worldview. Now, worldview is the view that you've been trained through your life to have. Now, you might say, by the way, I used to believe that everyone else in the world had a worldview. I, of course, knew the truth. But let me tell you, your truth is not actually the truth. It is actually, uh, it, it's actually molded by your worldview. And let me tell you, every single person here has a worldview. And your worldview will be made up from what your parents taught you and what you grew up with. It'll be made up by, if you were part of a church, what that church has actually instilled in you. And uh, it'll be made up by the society around. And it'll be made up by what you allow into your mind. That your worldview will be something that will be, will be molded in those things. But uh, if you think you don't have a worldview, just listen to the news going on. And I, and I was going to talk about, I was going to mention something in this country, but I thought if I do that, I'll start treading on toes. So I'm actually going to talk in America. In America, they've got uh, this double party system where you've got the Republicans and the Democrats. Now, depending on which group you've grown up in, if you've grown up in a Republican or a Democrat, you'll have a different way of seeing the world. And you'll have a different way of being a Christian. Now, I happen to know someone who was a Republican. I know lots of people who are Republican Christians. I mean, every televangelist, I think, is a Republican Christian. But I know quite a few people that are Democrat Christians. Now, a lot of the Republican Christians say, no, you can't be a Democrat and a Christian. It's impossible. So that's quite an interesting statement. That's a worldview for a start. Um, but but uh, what you actually find, the Republican Christians, they will go on and say it's all about the fact that we've got to have the right view on abortion, the right view on sexuality, and the right view on, on uh, freedom and ownership of land. And, the, and if you hear it, you'll actually understand there's a lot of what they say is absolutely true. And, and, you know, and you can get the worldview on that. 
If you get the Democrat side, they'll say, no, it's all about helping the poor, helping those that are marginalized, and actually bringing up the people that are struggling and, and caring for the strangers that come in because they were strangers that came to America. I hate to say this, but that sounds very Christian as well. You know, both of those actually sound Christian, don't they? And if you go in with those worldviews, you'll find that they will have an interpretation for the other side to try and explain away why the other side is different. And uh, you might wonder why I'm telling you this, and, and am I going to tell you now whether you should be Republican or Democrat? So the reason why I chose them is because it's got nothing to do with us. You know, it's because uh, um, I could have done it with the parties here and done the same thing, but uh, then that would have been a bit trickier. But in actual fact, as a Christian, you are neither Republican nor Democrat. You can be in either party, but let me tell you, neither of those parties are Christian. I hate to tell you this. It's, it's, uh, they are both molded by a worldview. Both parties will have some aspects that are Christian. And, and depending on where you're coming from, you might see some party as being more Christian than another. That's possible. But let me tell you, neither party is actually Christian. Because let me tell you what neither party will do. Neither party will talk about preaching the gospel. Neither party will talk about the, the, the wanting to get the gospel out to the world, which is our Christian focus. Neither party will talk about humility. And what is a Christian? We are, we're supposed to be humble. We're supposed to be self-sacrificing. Neither party, they'll talk about sacrificing for the party. They won't talk about self-sacrificing. You know, and, and yet those are things that are Christian. But of course, that view you're not going to get from either party. You're going to get that from somewhere else. So, so if we actually allowed ourselves, now if you listen to the news, by the way, you'll find the same thing in the news. Now you might think, oh, I listen to unbiased news. And what I love, by the way, listen to a news, news, news recorder or whatever station you go to, and you'll say, come here, the unbiased news, bye. And they'll mention the station. Let me tell you, it's not unbiased. It's biased towards something. And, uh, and because I'm at work with a very different, I'm with a multicultural place at work, I'm hearing a different view on the news. And one of the things they pointed out to me, they said, have you noticed in the news who they say was murdered and who they say was killed. Now that's an interesting thing. Because if you go in and there's a war going on, and you, the one side go and fight the other side, the side that you see as the enemy, when they kill this side, you say that they murdered them. Because they're the enemy. They've gone and done something terrible. When the good guys go and do something bad on this side, they say, oh no, they just killed them. You know, it wasn't murder, it was just killing. Let me tell you, that's bias. That's, that's actually you, suddenly you're getting a, this thing, you've got a frame coming in from, from the world. So that means you don't listen to the news. You do listen to the news, but you've got to listen to it with wisdom. You've got to listen to it realizing that it's coming from a worldview. So how do we have a heavenly wisdom in all of this? Because, I mean, with all this coming in, how do we discern the truth among all of this? And uh, there is a way of discerning it. But let me just read the, the last two verses here as we look at heavenly wisdom. Because... My answer, by the way, is don't get involved in that earthly wisdom at all on any of those sides. If you get caught up in any of those, you'll find yourself caught up in world's arguments. But notice in verse 17 and 18, it says, But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere, and a harvest of righteousness is sown by peace for those who are making peace. Now, now it's interesting, as I said, when we come to the wisdom from above, it's not about knowledge. Because no, what we're looking for is knowledge in all of this. It's actually about a person. Because we do need a worldview. But we need Jesus' worldview. When we look at the Bible, we actually see Jesus as being the uh, wisdom of God. As a matter of fact, uh, um, <clears throat> I was going to turn there, but if you, just, if you look at Colossians 2 verses 1 to 3, 
he's there talking about Christ, and he ends up in verse 3 by saying that, uh, well, at the end of verse 2, he says that uh, the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Christ has all of God's knowledge and wisdom in himself. So if you want to actually have be heavenly minded, you have to get into the mind of Christ. You have to become part of that. In 1 Corinthians 1.24, again, you don't have to turn there, it talks about Christ and it describes it saying there that when it's comparing the Jews and the Gentiles and talking about the different ways that they're actually they're different and how each of them is focusing on a different aspect when they're trying to get people saved. And it says, but we preach Christ and the world looks down on him, but Christ as the power of God and the wisdom of God. And we don't believe that Christ just is wise. We believe he is wisdom. He is the wisdom of God. The same as we believe that Christ is love. He is the wisdom of God. So, so we need to have the wisdom of Christ. Now, how do we do that? We, do, we get the wisdom of Christ, not by learning more about him, but by spending time with him. We need to actually have Christ with us in what we're doing. And uh, Christ, of course, uh, uh, to do that, of course, you need to be spending time in prayer. Spend time in his word. Spend time actually talking to him as you go through the day. Do you know that a lot of the times we have this quiet time in the morning and uh, then we don't talk to him again, maybe until the next morning. Let me tell you, he's with you the whole day. You can actually talk to him right through the day. Take him with you in the day. And he says here that uh, the things that will happen if you start getting the wisdom from above, that is allowing Christ to work through you. It's pure. It starts off by being pure. Pure means that it's clean. It's uh, innocent. It's not tainted by anything else. All those other things I was telling you, those philosophies. Now, let me tell you, you can get very hot under the collar with those philosophies. And, and I've seen even preachers get hot under the collar with it. And the reason they do is because they're allowing some of the world's view to get in. And they start seeing conspiracies in everyone else who's got a different view. So, so your view is correct and everyone else is against you sort of thing. Let me tell you, the, funny enough, that is true. Our view is correct, and the whole world is against us. You know, we, we, old, old, uh, we used to have um, Tyron Daniel, who leads the NCMI team. He has a saying. What is it? Uh, he says, there's only three things that, that you must know for sure. One, God loves you. Two, the devil hates you. And three, everyone has a plan for your life. So, so it's, and, and that is so true. <laughs> it's, you know, but we've got to hang on to the fact that God does love us and, uh, and that, uh, that we, we need to actually listen to his plan for us in what we're actually doing. So pure means that, also means that we're seeking the good of the other person. Because now the one thing that wisdom, God's wisdom does, it gets us to look beyond ourselves to look at others. It says it's peaceable, open, to, gentle and open to reason. It's the wisdom that's willing to, to, to listen to others. People are now more important than our agenda. Um, Jeanette and I had a, had a friend uh, some time ago that was a, a wonderful, he was a wonderful Christian guy, and he actually led us on a, on a discipleship course. What we discovered with him, though, after a while, was that his whole focus was he wanted to get people saved. Let me tell you, that is a wonderful thing to decide. But for him, his salvations were notches on his belt. So in other words, what was important was that you made the commitment and then you became a notch on his belt. And he lost the sight of people. Christ is more interested in people than notches on belts. As a matter of fact, it's to realize that people are important. Um, he goes on to say there that it's full of mercy and good fruits, um, love, joy, and peace, impartial and sincere. And we need to, in this, we need to see people as people. Years ago, 
I was in Zimbabwe and a friend, and I'm sure I've mentioned the story before, but a, a friend of ours had actually lost their child. The child had died in the swimming pool. And so we'd gone around to the house to, to comfort this, this man. And uh, in Zimbabwe, there were a couple of architects of the destruction of Zimbabwe, if you want, one being the president, the other being the head of the Reserve Bank. They were seen as the two main people that led Zimbabwe into hyperinflation and destroyed the whole economy of the country. So they were the enemy. <laughs> As a matter of fact, they, they, there were some horrific stories about things that they had done to people, how they had taken farms and murdered people and that sort of thing. So, so here was a guy that I, that uh, these were two guys that most of us in Zimbabwe looked on as people who had murdered a lot of people and been involved in the destruction of a lot of people. I turn up at this guy's house and the one man, not the president, it was the, the head of the Reserve Bank, was actually in his house. So I walked in and, and he... and. Uh, you know, it's a bit like if you'd walked in and you saw Hitler standing inside a room, you know, you sort of, you're a bit taken aback, you know, what do you do with this? Anyway, but but he had come there, to this guy had been a friend of his, and he had come there to comfort the guy that was there. And so I was comforting him, and he was comforting him, and the guy introduced me as his pastor. So he, he from that point on, he kept calling me pastor, kept patting me on the leg, which made me quite nervous, but, uh, <laughs> but uh, you know, it's, uh, we then started talking, and I got into conversations with him. You know what I discovered? He's a normal person. He was a person who he will have to answer one day for what he's done to God. But behind all of that, he was a normal person. He had the same sort of worries that I had. He had the same sort of, uh, um, you know, the, the same sort of uh, things in life. And, and, and the problem is, because I'd been listening to the worldview around me, which, and, and again, there's a lot of truth in the worldview, I'd stopped to see him as a person, and he was now just a thing. But what I started to see now, let me tell you, I actually pray for his salvation now. Because I've realized that behind that person is someone who needs to be saved. Someone who needs Jesus. And that's what, that's what the wisdom of God does. The wisdom of God gets you to see people as people. Where you can actually listen to their stories. You can listen to what they're saying. You can hear what they're saying. You, you can, um, <clears throat> a book that came out many years ago, How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie. I don't know how many of you have ever read that. If I, if I say put your hands up, probably all the older generation. I was going to say sorry about that. I think it's you and me. But, <laughs> but uh, anyway, it's, it's a brilliant book, by the way. But uh, it, it talks there. He talks he, in one of the stories he gives there. He talks there about how there was this gangster in this one town who was a bit like Anal Capone. And the gangster in the end got surrounded by the police and they were all shooting him down. And some of his last words before he, he went was the fact that, uh, um, you know, he, he, it was how much he loved his mother. And, uh, and, the, and the fact that, uh, and he was saying, and I haven't done anything wrong. <laughs> you know? And, and uh, he, the, the guy made the comment, or Dale Carnegie makes the comment, that all of us believe we're in the right. None of us are actually planning to be the enemy. <laughs> None of us are planning. You know, so, so there's a story behind each one of us. Now, now, to understand that story doesn't mean you have to agree with the story, by the way. You know, it's like even when I was with that, that guy in, in Zimbabwe, I didn't agree with most of what he had done, but I got to see the person behind it, the person that needed Jesus. And the wisdom that is above gets us to look beyond the propaganda here to see people and to see that people are in need of salvation and, uh, and, and people need Jesus to be saved. And if you do that, he ends off there by talking about the fact that we will become peacemakers and be real peacemakers because we bring peace. And that, and you can't, let me tell you, that's something you can't learn. That's not something where you can have enough information to do. That's something you can only be. <laughs> and that's something that only Christ can give you. 
Um, I just want to end with uh, looking at uh, a scripture. I'm not going to read the whole passage, but if you go to Matthew chapter 10, um, I'm going to read just the first scripture, verse 16. But I, I would suggest that you go home and you read the rest of the passage because uh, he says there in verse 16, he says, Behold, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, so be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. And he then goes on to say, when you actually come before people, if they're going to do things with you and that, and you're worrying about what you're going to say and do, don't do it because I will give you the words to say when you get there. But, but you know, you're going into the world right now and you're going out into the world again this week. And you know, you're going to get bombarded by the world's wisdom all through the week. It'll come in the form of the news. It'll come in, form, in the form of friends giving advice and that. We need to actually make sure we are close to Jesus as we go through this. Because as we go into this world, we need to be as wise as serpents, but as harmless as doves. And to be as wise as a serpent means, you, so if, you, if you're as wise as a dove, by the way, that's not very bright. My, 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 my son, I don't know about doves, but in this country, my, my son, what are those things that run on the road? Uh, pheasants. He says the only pheasants he ever saw um, were dead. And uh, so he was going down the road the once, and he says the first time he ever saw a live one <laughs> was standing in the middle of the road. So he thought, well, that's not, that's not very good. <laughs> it's not going to be live for long. So they're not very bright. And doves, unfortunately, fall in the same category. They're not the brightest birds in the world. It's, uh, um, but we're told to be as wise as serpents, because serpents, they, they stay hidden, isn't it? They get out of the way. They, they actually try and make themselves not be where you are. So we need to be as wise as serpents, but not as harmful as serpents to be as harmless as doves. In other words, we need to care for people. We need to truly love people. And you know something? I personally do not believe it is possible for you to love others like that unless the Holy Spirit is in you, unless Christ is in you. Because, you know, you, we've got to love people that are unlovely, that actually don't love us. <laughs> and let me say, it's very hard to love someone who doesn't love you and someone who's against you. But, but with Jesus on your side, you can. So this wisdom that is above, this this heavenly wisdom, do you know that it's available to all of us? Because it's not something, because you know, a lot of us think that to get this heavenly wisdom, tell you what, I'm going to learn the Bible off by heart, then I'll be heavenly wise. Let me tell you, that's a good thing to do, but that's not wisdom. Wisdom is actually spending time with the person who wrote the Bible, spending time with uh, meeting the person who the Bible is introducing to you, the Bible is revealing to you, spending time with Jesus. We need to make him the one that is actually giving us life. And if we do that, then truly we can actually Follow what he says there, that we are being sent out into the world as sheep in the midst of wolves, but we can be wise as serpents and innocent as doves and know that Jesus is with us till the very end. Amen. 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 Thanks, Ken. Yes, sir. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders, making the most of every opportunity. And uh, in the message, it, uh, that same passage that Ken spoke about, it sums up, it says, here's what you do. Live well, live wisely, live humbly. It's the way you live that counts. Amen. There you go. Amen. <laughs> so, yeah, Lord, help us to, uh, you are the wisdom of God, Jesus. We, we, as we sang this morning, we look to you, we eyes are upon you. You alone have the words of life. You've given us everything we need for life and godliness and, and wisdom. And so, Lord, we uh, thank you for that wisdom from above. And I thank you that uh, we can translate that in the lives around us and our speech and our conduct, as Ken said. Um, we do ask for it and uh, look to you for it in Jesus' name. 
Amen. Amen.